This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 100 of Breaking Banks Europe. I'm Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show, and I'm here with nobody else than everyone who is making this show for the past almost two years. So you know, you know all these faces because uh, we sometimes we, do, we actually do webcast as well. We are super excited. We started this adventure sort of uh, hoping that it will kind of work and uh, 100 shows, a little bit more actually. Later, here we are. So why don't we start by hearing from uh, you know the uh, the different hosts? What is you know what's happening? What's in their plate? How do they feel? And sort of welcome uh, all the auditors. Why don't we start with uh, Megan? Megan, hey, move to Portugal. I know that I know that news. Yes, I am now almost a Portuguese resident, although I am a Portuguese homeowner. So yeah, I've been lucky enough to be spending my time this year between uh, Germany and, and Portugal. And yeah, this year for me has been a lot of um, podcast hosting, which has been awesome. And I think yeah, I was lucky enough to record some Breaking Bank episodes around ecosystems in the Baltics, um, which is, yeah, I, I was really excited to share all the, you know, success stories and, and insights and what makes these markets so successful. Um, I always root for the underdog. And I think, you know, these little tiny countries um, up on the Baltic Sea are doing incredible things. Um, so that was definitely the highlight for me. Um, apart from that, still freelance consulting, doing a lot of work at the moment into embedded finance opportunities. Um, so that's, yeah, really exciting for me. And yeah, really excited to be here for the 100th episode. I remember when Mateo asked me if I wanted to be a host, I was actually in Portugal. So now it's all come full circle. We are so, circling back. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, uh, Mateo. And can I hand it over to Nina? Hello, hello from London. Um, what's going on in my life? Everything is uh, moving at the speed of light. Um, goodness, it's been a big year, hasn't it? Um, I left my job at Klarna <laughs> five months ago to start my own business. So I am now the CEO and co-founder of Bloom Money, which is a fintech app that allows people from migrant communities to borrow and save money. Um, and so it's been quite the journey to go from an operating life into a uh, founder life. Everything is on fire all the time, <laughs> but I'm also learning 
um, so much, you know, every day. I, I actually just yesterday, I was thinking I used to sit in meetings in my previous job where it was like, oh, wow. Okay. Big, big day. We've decided to like consider adding in a new feature. Maybe let's go to the next meeting. And now my days are in one day I've applied for a government grant, done three pitches, written a whole new blog post, you know, everything gets just, just moving 50 times faster, it seems. So that's been wonderful. It's been great to use the podcast to travel as um, I have yet to travel outside the UK since coronavirus. Um, so I got to host the episode where we went over to Sweden um, and got to speak to the team at Anything who have actually just raised again, I think. Um, and actually I've been invited to Stockholm FinTech Week off the back of that. So something for me to look forward to next year. Um, but I'm I'm super excited to be part of this community, all of our listeners who have been tuning in every episode. Um, and I'm learning so much. We've got some fun things in store coming up and looking at debt collection soon. So very, very excited for the next hundred episodes. So I'm going to hand over to Paolo. What have you been up to, Paolo? (laughs) So thanks for um, being here uh, all together. I'm so happy. Um, I remember when in 2013, I was in the IBM office in New York and they asked me for the leadership and they said, you can write some uh, blogs. And I said, what is a blog? I really didn't know. Then I remember a few years after, Brad King invited me to speak at Breaking Back's podcast. And I said, what is a podcast? <laughs> and then when two years ago, we had this conversation with Brett and Matteo to launch Breaking Banks Europe, I thought that it's good to be on the other side now, to be part of a team that can invite other people to speak and to present their point of views and their experience. And two years into Breaking Banks Europe, 100 episodes after, I still believe I'm a baby podcaster. There's so much that uh, I have to learn and I'm, I've been learning so far, so it feels very good. The last uh, two years, like everybody, was uh, basically home uh, after many years of intensive travel. So Breaking Banks was a way of connecting with people, feeling like a part of um, multiple conversation. And it was a moment uh, that I could open during the day in order to reflect and think and learn from, from everyone else. And so that gave me a lot of ideas. Uh, so that became a new book also uh, that is uh, about to be launched in a couple of weeks. So that kept me very busy and very silent um, during these months. But most of all, uh, I'm glad for all of the conversations that I had. And I listened to what you guys were hosting other episodes because that really made sense on a global stage in a couple of years where everything seemed to be falling apart, but we managed to keep on going and we went very well. You make me cry, Paolo. That's my role, emotional self. Okay, you pick, you pick who you... German to Germany, I go to Matthias. Ah, thank you, Paolo. Well, at least 50% German now, as we discussed it. Now... Um, yeah, well, the last year, uh, actually, I could not, uh, thinking, you know, the debrief for that session and thinking back, actually, I realized, wow, it's October already. Where has the year gone? It's, it's as, as Nina said, it's light speed all over the place. Uh, those home office COVID days make you lose 
your orientation grid totally. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I had to really take some notes, but I'm going to reduce it. So on the one side, of course, I stay, and Ajit, because you asked me, I, I did stay, of course, with one foot, or let me yeah. say with one eye uh, in the crypto environment. Um, you know, um, I've, I've been a business angel investor in one company, which successfully executed a transaction this year, which was massive and way, way earlier than I ever thought about. Um, we've been contacted by by many, by several, not overdoing it, by some external partners who yeah. are kind of trying to get their hands around in Europe uh, for crypto-centric financial services institutions. So that, that is very exciting because that keeps me going in this space and, and have a look to this But uh, on the one side. But my, my full focus is something... Um, totally different. It's a company we founded actually back in 2020, and it's called Trade Light Solutions. And that company is operating at the intersection of video games and the world of finance. Um, so what, what would that mean? Actually, we allow video game developers to create video games with financial data as a central content uh, to those video games, which means uh, you can create um, fun-making impactful teaching maybe educating maybe definitely enjoying video games that make people that maybe never thought about it but get them in touch with financial topics in whatever way and sense um, and that is absolutely exciting because you know being a regulated um, c-suite member of banks over the last whatever like 25 years now suddenly operating in a world which is limitless creative and is is just joy focused, and and is and and really, let me say, your creativity is is limiting the approach. Which is, you know, this is something I never would have said in banking. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's actually totally exciting. And uh, so, <laughs> the fun note on this is, and then I hand over. Uh, the fun note on this is. Uh, and actually get prepared because I'm going to hand over to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, a crypto guy in a fintech meeting. Yeah, exactly. They come at the end. So, so the fun note on this is that I was maybe or most certainly one of the youngest C-level or CEO of a bank ever. I'm definitely one of the oldest gaming company co-founders now. So uh, this is, uh, you know, yeah, that's what happened. Um, so I'm going to hand over. Actually, how are you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm having a huge amount of fun, you know. So I, uh, I've been at Aave uh, building out the institutional product. So, so we are essentially bringing in regulated and financial institutions into DeFi. Uh, that's uh, that's that's a lot of work. You know, there is quite a bit of education work. So I've been spending a lot of time with policy institutions, OECD, the FATF, you know, you name Bank of England, the FCA. So all of the the regulators, the traditional investment banks. So, you know, it helps to be kind of the, the oldest guy, one of the oldest people in DeFi. So everyone else, so I'm kind of 45 now. And, you know, so, so I, I can wear a suit and still look okay in it. Uh, so, so I've been spending a lot of time with, you know, traditional financial institutions, regulators, policy institutions, and so on and so forth. But then I have the other life, right? It's it's a bit like Spider-Man. So once, once the lights go off, then I'm hanging out in the DAOs, uh, flipping and your t-shirt says it all by the way yeah 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 it's the raves, the raves. so organizing you know raves uh, 
which is basically Rave. Uh, and yeah, so Sarsian so is spending a lot of time in DAOs, uh, investing very actively in, in Web3 startups, I think 30 odd by now. Uh, so, so yeah, so I think you know, having a having a huge amount of fun, meeting a lot of people, traveling to conferences, uh, you know, doing a bunch of webinars and Zoom and so on. So, uh, so I think the last two years have been quite intense uh, in in my world. You know, sleep is is rare and it looks rare, uh, as the meme goes. So there are lots of memes, uh, lots of DAOs. Every every day there is something new coming around. Uh, there is a lot of regulatory activity as well in, in, in my world. So, you know, I think there's quite a bit of noise coming out of DC, China. I'm still spending too much time on Twitter, uh, as you already know. And, and you know, 80% of the time is on Twitter, Telegram, Discord. Uh, and, and the other 20% of the time is actually doing some new work, work right? Like, but, but a lot of that work is essentially education and, you know, uh, sort of bringing explaining to the fintechs and the traditional financial institutions. And that's pretty much everyone, right? I mean, we work with some of the biggest payments companies. We work with some of the biggest banks and DeFi. We work with some of the largest, uh, you know, crypto native institutions, hedge funds, family offices. So so, so it's, it's been pretty intense, but an incredible amount of fun. I don't think I've had more fun at work ever in my career, right? It's just unbelievable. That's great. There are uh, two things that I that I that I would like to to add to this. One is that we are missing uh, one host because we are perfectly balanced. There is Francesca, Francesca, with my uh, my business partner at uh, at FTS, but today she could not uh, join for uh, for good reasons. Uh, but you know, she's with us, uh, Francesca. Hi, thanks for you know being a, a great uh, a great add to the. To the host of uh, of Breaking Banks Europe, that's one. And the second is uh, I want to announce something that we started uh, is a is a new sort of uh, uh, is an extension of uh, of Breaking Banks that uh, we wanted to call Breaking Payments. And uh, actually, the, the we haven't shared the the the, the flyer of it, but. Uh, it's an idea that sort of was incubated in uh, money to, at Money 2020 a couple of weeks ago uh, because I started having this talk with you know the thought machine, the PayU, the Open Pay, the the Think, and the Wirex, and the you know BBC, and all these like grown up kids from the block. And uh, and I got like Asimo and and all these. Uh, I've got this idea that payments are becoming cool again, which I'm not totally convinced about it because I always found them particularly boring. But all of a sudden, the way they talk about it and the way they embed it in, you know, the way they treat it as a, as a, as a plumbing to enable uh, uh, business applications uh, and and new services with uh, with their clients. I thought that it was worth to put all these players together and launch a show that is going to be a little bit unconventional. Breaking Payments is the perfect title, actually, because it's like they are deconstructed and reconstructed into some other entity, or sometimes they are even hidden, you know, and, and used it as a, as a, in, in what I call this meta industry that fintech has. A, has become so. We are launching breaking payments, and uh, the flyer and and the sort of concept was ready yesterday at seven p.m. 
today the first uh, email to uh, to the guys that we discussed with the money 2020 uh, sort of were went out let's see what their feedback is uh, uh, of course, a couple of them are positive uh, because uh, the, these are conversations that were made already. So it was a great money 2020. We missed you all, guys. We couldn't catch up uh, in in person, but uh, I am, you know, I, I'm Virginia, planning the next one will be different. How can you say payments are boring? You were just swift for many. <laughs> it, well, what, you wonder why I left, right? <laughs> There you go. So hopefully you can bring Swift on now with their innovation team and see how they've gone with uh, breaking yeah. payments. Absolutely. Well, Matteo, the challenge... Yes, Paolo. No, I was about to say, if you look at the market capitalizations of the top 500 banks from 2010 to 2020, you see that in 2020, in 2010, if you add the value of the payment providers, the fintech banks it covers 97% of the market capitalization, right? But in 2020, that went down to 75% and just the payment providers account for 20%. So this accelerated through the pandemic and continues through 2021. So definitely the market is understanding the value and the power of payments. And what has been happening the last year is that they became less boring because they started building the super apps. So they realized that they are the horizontal infrastructure of every connection with the client. So that's where we start possibly seeing the rebuilding through fintech, the financial services industry. So it's a space that is going to be super hitting, super hitting. Actually, thank you, Paolo, because that's it. I'm going to steal that sentence and put right at the opening uh, of whatever sort of email that I'm going to that I'm going to shoot to find uh, to find uh, our partners for this uh, for this. So, so uh, in your opinion, guys, uh, you know what else should be talked about when I think about uh, our 2022 uh, planning. Uh, I mean, from from what uh, our uh, uh, new kid entrepreneur from the block, Matthias, uh, it is obvious that, uh, you know, embedded finance uh, and uh, even the gaming industry, gaming and fintech uh, could actually become a subject on its own. Don't you think, Matthias? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Matthias. No, absolutely. Um, and, and this is why... We're going to go, uh, speaking in game terms, going to go all in to this. Um, and and by the way, we have to make a clear demarcation or differentiation when we speak about games on the one side and gamification on the other side, yeah? So because it's 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 mixed up many, many times uh, just because it contains game in both words, so to say. Uh, but gamification is, you know, um, is... Yes, you, you take game components and integrate those in an existing workflow, maybe what is a bank or a broker or whatever kind of an, uh, kind of existing workflow of a financial services institute or whatever kind of a company, anyhow, by the way. Um, but you integrate those components from the game world and make it look like a game. That does not mean, and this is why I find gamification to be very, very critical. You know, uh, oh, let me say this is a German false friend translation. I'm, I'm skeptical regarding uh, gamification. This is what I have to say. Uh, and find it even dangerous because gamification itself could camouflage a real material risk, uh, actually, that is existing, but it's not changing the risk. 
right? So a gamified transaction of a broker in a size of 10,000 euros still is a 10,000 euro risk. It's not less. The difference to the games is that, first of all, video games and games are created to, first of all, be a safe harbor, so to say. So that risk is not existing. Second, it is created in order to deliver fun and joy. Uh, this is not what maybe all discount brokers could say, uh, in particular, not the ones who are located in Sherwood Forest. Um, third, it is created maybe to improve, to give positive feedback, to have rules, to uh, to to learn those rules. To you know, it's it's not that one of us would have the fear to be bankrupt after playing a round of Monopoly. Yes, we would be angry that we lost. But, or maybe disappointed, not angry, but disappointed that we lost. But maybe we learned the lesson that we did over-invest, that we, whatever, you know? Uh, and this is the difference to a game. So a game is positive, rewarding, feedback giving, enabling you to learn, and so on and so forth. This is the difference to gamification. Gamification doesn't give a shit about all these other components, you know? It's just there to look nice. This is it. And, and and that's the danger of it. So this is why we think very much about, I see you coming, Paolo. This is why we have a strong look to video games and how we can integrate actually financial data into video games. I think this is a massive development, Paolo. Yes, I'm studying in because, uh, okay, you, you know well that my 2017 book, Fintech Innovation, has the subtitle From Robot Advisors to Gold-Based Investing and Gamification. And the intention there was to understand how you could use digital to help people better understand finance, not really to create nudges or sludges. Now, the Nobel Prize for Economics that was announced two days ago went to these three guys that, that are addressing the what-if analysis as a way to make economic decisions. So they call it a credibility revolution, like the models that are close, you don't understand, that makes you decide on investing might not be good enough for you to learn what it is about playing with money. So the essence of a game is a what if, because you need to make decisions. You need to move to the right or to the left to get to the new screen. So now it is getting mainstream in theory as well. So I'm very pleased that you mentioned this and the difference between games and gamification to focus really where you can use technology as a tool to help people relate to a problem and find their ways to understand, you know, what could be good, what could be bad, knowing that in the end, nobody really knows. So it's not about oversimplifying uh, the rubric like uh, to create FOMO or uh, just to invite people to do without them to understand. Uh, yeah, yeah so, so on, on my side of the world, right, games are, are driving most of the innovation. And just one second, Matthias. So, so, you know, we are doing, uh, so DeFi, decentralized finance is a bit gamified already. You know, so liquidity mining, yield farming. I mean, so we have the word called ape. So a lot of innovation, similar to you know how it came through in the in the early days of the internet, is coming through games. You know, I mean, people in the old in the 95s, 90s were writing Pac-Man and whatnot, and that drove a lot of innovation. And the internet, we are seeing the same thing in crypto and decentralized finance now with you know P2E gaming, which is play-to-earn gaming, uh, where people can essentially you know play games all day and still make a living and people who spend get better at games get paid by people who are less good at games so so gamification is at the at the heart of innovation in my world yeah it's, it's actually uh, this axi infinity is one example and the label uh, 
Yeah. Which, is, which is going through the roof, or as others would say, to the moon. Um, and <laughs> another, by the way, another big development this year, wasn't it? Uh, GameStop actually see there again. It's just a word, but it, it comes. Actually, I think GameStop development also reaches out into the game uh, environment. Uh, the whole development there, because the the channels or the communication channels those people organized on are normally used by gamers and players, um, and. Um, you know, the, this, this difference of gamification, I, I fully get it, Paul, uh, the difference of gamification and, and real games. You know, it's a difference. I, I always translate it to uh, taking to flight simulation and taking a real flight, yeah, or take, really flying a plane. And a game gives you the wonderful opportunity to have this kind of flight simulation and you are not, you're not living in the danger that Actually, your plane would crash and you are dead. You know this is this is the, the major difference to this, and it's not getting better by having a plane that has a gamified cockpit. You know, a gamified cockpit does not prevent you of crashing, and and I think we have to have that in mind when we speak about the diff, the, the demarcation line. But actually, I really love that what you say. It's yeah. It's, we've been so massively influenced uh, by the game industry. Banks, financial services do refuse totally to adopt that because they think games are stupid. Uh, gamers are white-skinned, red eyes, desocialized people sitting in the cellar somewhere, uh, smelling strongly because they hadn't had a shower for two weeks. Uh, you know, all this kind of prejudices. Right. Okay, guys. Sorry, I have to. I have to stop the three old guys talking about games, uh, and, <laughs> and let's make you know the, the two two young ladies talk about uh, serious stuff, right? It's a, it's a great. Uh, I think it's a great. <laughs> it's a great shift. Nina, how about some impact? A new form of credits. I, I mean, giving you, uh, teasing you with Bloom a little bit, but uh, <laughs> what what your adventure has inspired about? Uh, new topics we would talk or new or like adjacent topic we could talk about well i will i will pick up from where my wonderful colleagues were dropping off about gamification because actually it does it does bleed into other parts of fintech um and we're seeing that because we want people to engage with their financial services um i'm sure mj has a lot to say about embedded finance and where you know, it is actually quite hard. We've seen Google pull out from launching Plex and um, a lot of others are kind of shifting away from the whole tech fin scenario that we had imagined. And we're now looking at other ways to engage with people with financial services. And so, you know, today I was really interested. There's a company called Juno, um, a sister co-founder pair. They're half German, half French. Um, but launching in London. So truly uh, children of the European Union, uh, maybe not anymore. And they are doing a Duolingo for financial literacy, for women specifically. And so they're trying to kind of add in some of those things that we think of as not being part of the financial world and kind of almost, it's like Duolingo where you're doing classes, you're doing little quizzes as well but you're also getting that masterclass quality of having an expert explain to you um, basic things about personal finance management, which I think um, Matthias kind of touched on briefly as what he's up to now. I think there's also really exciting time now when we talk about financial inclusion, it's not just like 
oh, financial inclusion is a problem over in the developing world, or sorry, that's not the right term, the emerging markets that, you know, everyone kind of goes, oh, sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, Latin America is where financial inclusion needs to happen. When actually in the UK, there's over 1 million adults without a bank account. So, you know, it's a problem here in the Western world where we live in breaking banks, Europe as well. Um, And it's not just about you know, migrants who are, we are specifically targeting with Bloom, these migrants who make up the backbone of our societies, who stock our shelves, who are our uh, cashiers and waiters and clean our offices. But it's also about women who are still underserved and experienced a pay gap or, you know, LGBT plus communities across the continent who are really struggling to find the money to get a loan to do IVF or have a surrogate or adopt a child. And this is something that they want to do as society becomes more progressive and allows them to you know, have children and things like that. So I'm personally very excited about this um, affinity group banking, where we have more and more people kind of breaking out into having specific financial services that really fit their needs. And I mean, you know, we're joking about gaming and it's being a a thing for for the boys to talk about. But, you know, there are huge communities of gamers, many who are women, by the way, um, who unfortunately do receive a lot of abuse. But, you know, they have a very particular lifestyle. Is there a way that we can look at gamers, not just in the terms of gamifying financial services, but actually flip it over? Can we serve gamers better? Um, you know, can we look at underwriting them in a better way? Is are they is there cash flow from their streams? I don't know. There's a really interesting thing to look at. So that's what I'm personally very excited about. Great, Nina, and taking mental notes. So one for Matthias. We need to add Zinga, you know, to uh, to in, in in the show. And uh, Nina, there is this uh, bank for musicians. Uh, can can someone they've raised money recently and is is a bank for artists or musicians I wonder if uh, one of you know the one I'm talking about I promise uh, I will I will get uh, yeah yeah it's it's a United States uh, it's a digital fully licensed digital bank for artists and musicians oh brilliant yeah, we're going to and and this affinity banking, by the way, is a great is a great name, and I promise it will be the title uh, the title of one of the one of the shows. Over to Megan. Yeah, I just saw. Um, I mean, a lot to kind of build upon what Nina was saying, but I was just nerve, really... nerve. Yeah. The, the 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 bank we are talking about Renata from the backstage. She just shooted shoot me a message. The bank is called Nerve. Yeah, I was just reading today that um, United Masters um, is partnering with Coinbase to pay music artists in in crypto as well. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of work in the embedded finance space. And there's some, yeah, interesting, I think, thinking about the artist community in particular, there's a lot of, um, or there's two, it's, it's Dice, and I forget the name of the other, that have two startups that have come up through the um Rise cohort actually that are platforms helping to ensure artists are you know getting paid the royalties that they should be getting paid, 
helping them manage, um, you know, booking uh, venues and everything. And I think, you know, there's nothing stopping these, you know, new wave of digital platforms that are helping everyone from, you know, small businesses, artists, um, creators, um, gamers from accessing more contextualized, more relevant um, financial products and services. So, you know, you think about the needs of an artist, for example, um, you know, uh, artists that's just starting out, you know, a lot of the times artists are very underpaid, sometimes working for free. So, you know, they want to buy some new musical equipment. Um, you know, how do they access that capital? Well, you know, if the platform that's, you know, helping them book uh, different tours and, and venues and everything is providing embedded lending. I think that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, then, you know, when artists start traveling overseas, who's going to offer them, you know, travel insurance? Um, perhaps, you know, we start to see new types of insurance coming out with, um, you know, the whole concept of embedded insurance. So, Insurances for artists to future proof them against, you know, cancel gigs in the next few years as we kind of experience what happens with COVID. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, this concept of affinity banking or, or niche banking. And I think, you know, what we've seen is the rise of some neo banks like Daylight in the States, um, you know, also tomorrow in Germany that are, you know, creating these glorified digital current accounts and services to fit the needs of a very niche customer segment. Um, and I think the next logical step is for, you know, some of these very um, innovative kind of digital platforms to then um, take on embedded finance. And, you know, we start to see um, companies like Deal and Gusto, these platforms that are focused on, you know, providing digital HR platforms, um, Deal, which is focusing on just um, companies that have a remote workforce, which is something that, you know, is going to really take off um, as a result of COVID. And, you know, embedding different um, uh, financial experiences and products. Um, so, you know, cards, um, you know, digital wallets and everything. So, I mean, for me, I think we could have a, a, a whole series on, on picking this and looking at, you know, the, the different markets where embedded finance can really make a, a difference in the lives of consumers. Good. Roberto Paolo. Paolo, what about, uh, uh, you know, the new kind of uh, like mass affluent tools, you know, in the, in the, you know, asset management space. So we, we didn't touch it a lot this year. We, we did more like the credit part, like the AI stuff and something, but you know, what else is, uh, is in the horizon in your opinion? And, and, and what else in, you know, in general, you think we should talk about? Well, the the shift of bank revenues worldwide, in particular in the Western world, uh, Europe and North America, is towards uh, wealth management uh, because of the complex macroeconomic conditions. Wealth management means uh, damming down, if you like, uh, uh, simplifying the engagement mechanism of uh, the family office or the private banking uh, to target the affluent segment uh, of the clientele. And this has been going on. Uh, we see clear examples uh, like uh, Goldman Sachs, for example, which is trying to put together Marcos with United Capital, that was uh, a network of uh, financial planners and advisors in order to have uh, 
digital engagement, but also an hybrid capability, if you like to engage with individuals to provide them value. I guess that the difficulty that we are seeing here, because there is a difficulty as the industry changes uh, with less speed than uh, in, in other sectors, is that you still need to go through a cultural transformation on the way the human component has to relate with technology and with the client that takes uh, a bit more time. And this is the space for uh, technology to support uh, the individuals, uh, so the employees in terms of creating new conversations with clients. Now, ultimately, I also think and see from a worldwide perspective that uh, the advent of platformication of banking will also tackle the issues of profitability and transformation of the wealth management for the affluent, because we will see the rise of advisory platforms. So digital solutions that enable individual advisors that operate as entrepreneurs is some sort of the gig economy, being dependent on independent advisors to be capable of sourcing technology to create and leverage the conversations. So I guess that some of the institutions are learning that they will become more and more technology companies that will enable a network of advisors to have a variety of conversations out there to target the affluent opportunities. There's a huge amount of money there that has to change hands in the coming years. And this is where I guess FinTech will have the biggest impact in the transformation of the wealth management space, but it requires a change of the business model from a linear distribution of products. So it's my brand, it's my funds, I put it out there into the creation of advisory platforms that enable individuals to be more autonomous and independent to create conversations with clients. Ajit, uh, in the in the different boxes, you know, there is one that is uh, uh, it is called breaking chains. Uh, which is like uh, the breaking payments about for the whole uh, uh, crypto and DeFi world. Uh, we are actually talking uh, with my friend Mircea, who is the CEO of a coin firm uh, that, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's really, uh, you know, keen uh, to like be one of the backers for this, uh, for this show. And I do believe that, especially with the explosion of, of DeFi, you know, having say a monthly a monthly show that talks about the space, whether it is a special or whether it is uh, you know sometimes in a regular uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, frame and 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 some others as as special would be a good idea, don't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. There is quite a bit of interest. You know, uh, if you saw a recent report, uh, so Europe has been powering quite a bit of the growth of DeFi, right? So I think there was a analysis report where they said uh, Europe is kind of, uh, you know, uh, creating or driving 30% of the transaction volume uh, globally in, in, in DeFi. There's also quite a lot going on around you know, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, uh, play to earn gaming. I've seen a lot of quality startups come through from Europe. Uh, there is also... You know, we started the DeFi Alliance European chapter uh, that I'm on the board of, and 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 you know we're seeing a lot of quality talent, uh, especially uh, if you're from Eastern Europe now. And uh, so, so there is definitely a lot to talk about. And this is also becoming, you know, crypto is no longer a fringe. I think we're becoming a bit of a, a strategic component of the agenda in the banking and fintech boardrooms. Uh, we've seen Stripe, PayPal. You know, Visa, uh, Mastercard, you name it, come into crypto. So there's the, 
there's just a tremendous around, uh, amount of investment and excitement and, and actually innovation in this space. What's really going on is, you know, that with, with fintech for a long time, we uh, changed the UX uh, UX of, of the financial services completely. Now with crypto and blockchain and some of the other tech technology, we're starting to rewrite the back end of, you know, financial infrastructure. And and I think that's, you know, it's still early days, but it's a pretty powerful movement. And, and it's totally, it totally makes sense to, you know, bring, a lot of that insight to, uh, to to the to the crypto and fintech communities and bring them together. One uh, one uh, last one, and and I'll do it together with Nina because she just reminded me that there is another topic that we are that you are missing. I had an incredible conversation with the CEO and and founder of Wahid, and the, the which is like a neo bank in the UK. Uh, about ethical investing, you know, ethical investing and ethical insurance, you know, uh, and everyone is confusing it with Islamic finance, but it's so much bigger than Islamic finance is uh, in the case of insurance, for example, he was saying, you know, why, why couldn't we imagine an insurance where, you know, the, 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 there is indeed a fee for the insurance, uh, but uh, the fees that are not redistributed in, uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, damage claims are redistributed to the insured people. You know, so it's a it's it's a, a whole different way of uh, thinking of financial services, which I believe it would be uh, uh, you know it should have some space. And uh, I've been invited to talk uh, uh, digitally because I will be in Brazil in Bratislava into a fintech and climate conference. At the end of uh, uh, October, and I believe Nina, that was something that uh, uh, you know you rightly reminded me. It was it would be good to have in the agenda, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm personally looking forward to the COP26 summit in Glasgow next month, um, and I think climate has increasingly become a priority. I, I think. Probably Paulo, Matias, and well, actually Ajit as well in crypto would agree. Megan, I know that you have had your brushes with this in fintech, but everything from uh, you know consumer fintech, where you see cards like the tree card, where they will offset your or they'll plant a tree for every transaction you make, or Klarna recently integrated economy, uh, which I believe is they're Nordic, no. And they tell you what your um, carbon offset is, but all the way up to trade finance. And even, you know, in the crypto world, people are starting to look at how can we make this all more sustainable from a climate perspective. Um, I had the opportunity to speak to a woman who is working with the UN to try and get stock exchanges to start reporting their climate impact. Um as part of annual reports, because they they really feel that we need to make a much more systemic change. And, you know, we've seen, what what was that? Um, they're like that, what do they call it? Activist hedge fund, engine number, engine number nine, is it? Who recently took over the ExxonMobil board and basically said, you know, you don't, you don't care about climate and you need to. And so they, you know, kind of staged a, a bit of a coup of the board um, as an activist hedge fund that cares about the future of climate. So um, MJ, I know that you have 
something you wanted to add, but it's just something I'm looking forward to exploring more in the next few episodes. Yeah, I I think all of those are fantastic examples. And I think there's, I mean, um, Shopify, like the one of the most successful kind of innovative um, tech companies out there with their um, Shopify pay. Um, You know, there's a lot of exciting things about Shopify pay, but when you use Shopify pay, there's, you know, a green component where you're ensured that, you know, the delivery is done in the most green sustainable way. Um, So, you know, I think if Shopify is already starting to get into the space, then, you know, it's a matter of time before other tech companies start to think about it seriously. And I think, you know, with rising energy costs and, you know, people even younger than us, Nina, are, you know, really putting um, climate on on the radar. And I think, you know, I think about some use cases of, um, you know, not like how you can tie in personal finance management with, um, you know, being green and, I think about, you know, like 22, 23, 24 year olds who, you know, need to start thinking about, you know, can I buy a house and, you know, thinking about aspects of how they would want to make that house sustainable. So I know, for example, ABN AMRO offers, um, you know, dedicated mortgages for kind of green and sustainable homes. But I think if we think about, you know, the new types of financial experiences and services for, you know, the the super young folks, you absolutely have to think about how their approach to sustainability and climate change impacts like their purchasing behavior, their buying behavior, how they plan for different things, how they shop online. Um, So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely an inevitable um, topic and consideration that we all have to have going forward. Megan, one punk punk is worth two houses right now. So that's what the young people are buying. (laughs) Well, thank you, Renata, for also pointing out it's not engine number nine uh, on the New York transit line. It's engine number one the activist hedge fund. So obviously I've got uh, old school rap in my head, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, guys. Uh, I think that, uh, well, that as, as expected, it was a, it was a great discussion. I loved it because it's informal. We did not prepare anything, the guys, you know, for sake of the auditors, but you could see that we could totally um, uh, make this conversation flow for much more than this uh, 50 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so guys, thank you so much. Uh, I, I want to thank you as if you were guests, but we are all guests and hosts, uh, today. And, uh, I look forward for the next 100 show guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, so thank so you very much. Thank wow. you. Hey, we're going to be launching the BB token. I mean, shouldn't we have a DAO and like, launch the BB podcast token? You okay. can do with that. This, with this, with this crazy, with this crazy idea of the last the ten seconds of Ajit, I think we can call it. And let's say one, two, three is a wrap. One, two, three. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a wrap. Bye, <laughs> everyone. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.